Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me for his second appearance on the show is Jesse Giorzi, Director of Brand Strategy at Charge. Jesse, super excited to have you back on. Super excited to be here. Second one hopefully goes as well as the first. So over the weekend, you responded to a tweet about Will Paul George be able to grow his brand in Oklahoma City at the same level as if he were in Los Angeles? You said yes. The right athlete can grow his or her brand in almost any market today. Examples, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Joel Embiid, Russell Wilson, and Antonio Brown. Can you expand on this and why you say yes? Yeah, and, and it's got to be the, the right athlete and the right fit. But as the world has gotten smaller and smaller and, and the advent of social media and the things that people can do quickly, taking HD videos and, and high-res photos with their phones, you don't need to be directly in New York, L.A., Miami, Chicago, et cetera, to, to grow your brand, especially off-the-court field um, or, your, or whatever your field of play is. So not that necessarily Paul George will – continue to grow his brand in Oklahoma City at the same pace that he could if it was in LA, but that he, he could. Not that he will, but the option is there because it's, it's a small world. And you look at, um, at the NBA, and if I'm just running through you know, this mid-July ranking on, uh, on the top 10 MVP index NBA players, you have LeBron, who is now in LA, but played the bulk of his career in Cleveland. You have Steph Curry, who's played in San Francisco area. Big market, but not among the top. Durant, who for the most of his career was in OKC. Uh, Wade Mello have played in big markets. Chris Paul, mostly big markets. But then Kyrie, Clay Thompson, DeMarcus Cousins, and Joel Embiid. Some big markets, but you, know, you wouldn't call Sacramento or New Orleans a major media market, and Cousins is still in that top ten. Now, this is mostly what they're doing in social, but – the guys that embrace social and the guys that embrace that, that growing their, their personality off the court and really growing that brand have the ability to do it no matter where they are because of, of the technology and, and small world that we're living in. So there's a quote that we've heard a million times that I very much believe in. You're the average of the five people you spend the most amount of time with. And while I agree that there is a will versus could to this, does the fact that Paul George could be in the network of Magic Johnson on a consistent basis versus being in the network of Oklahoma City really um, shrink the size or I guess the speed of his growth. So we know the internet and social give you unlimited abilities to reach people, but is there an element of gasoline that is being missed by Paul George not being in a large market? I think you, you, you have a really interesting point there, and, and not just that it's L.A., period, but the magic factor is different than L.A. If magic were in, you know, Houston or Minneapolis, I think he's got that same uh, appeal and, and, and can and give that, that expertise. If you look at, you know, all the, the great athletes that were there in the 90s, there's, there are a few that are as relevant as, as magic on the business off the court side of things. And it's not just that he's – you know, in his role with the Lakers, obviously, but co-owning and being sort of the face of the Dodgers, as well as his massive investment in, in movie theaters out there as well. So the magic element is a, is a separate issue. 
Um, and so, yeah, being under the tutelage and being close to, um, to a, a, a on and off court basketball and business genius, the size and, and the historic shadow of magic is a big boost that I think could be wherever magic was. Obviously he's in LA. So that could be a factor for him that would help more than there is no other Oklahoma city basketball legend that's still there overshadowing and, and, and able to offer guidance. So the magic factor, I think grows bigger there than um, as well as Kobe. And he's not to that magic off the court yet, but he's on his way towards that. Those guys being there, is more impactful for me than just L.A., period. Okay, so let's go to the next one. We'll go with Kevin Durant in San Francisco with the Golden State Warriors. So one of the reasons why he wanted to go to Golden State was, let's call it lifestyle slash business. And being in Silicon Valley allows him to have a lot more conversations with a lot more important people and companies than if he were in Oklahoma City. So even though the San Francisco market size would not be as large as Los Angeles, what about the people who are in the market? So once again, looking at Oklahoma City, would you rather have Silicon Valley as your neighborhood or Oklahoma City in the ability for the people around you to once again be able to help amplify and be the gasoline to your brand? Yeah, I think when you look at that and, and just what, especially as Duran has been, has been um, you know, a pioneer and really into the technology side of things and, and, and San Francisco being such a, a terrific um, hub of, of technology and uh, disruption, which I hate to use as an overused word, but, but all those things that are going on in San Francisco um, tech-wise and social network-wise, I think that's a, that's a big key for where he wants to expand. Now, if it would be you know, if he was wanting to expand more in the, uh, in the food or fashion side of things, then not that they don't, San Francisco doesn't have good pieces of, of either of those, but it's that leading technology and internet area. Um, and so that's why it's, that's a perfect fit market-wise for Durant to grow his brand off the court. If it was, um, you know, style or fashion, then maybe it's, maybe it's New York, or if it were um, cooking or something like that, maybe it's, maybe it's Chicago or, or maybe it's Miami or something, something else like that. So I think the fit with Durant and San Francisco is a terrific brand fit, um, but that wouldn't be the case for anybody. Wouldn't fit as well in San Francisco as he does. It's sort of a, a two plus two equals five situation for a guy with those kind of technology interests. So I guess I would like to think that being in Oklahoma City is going to slow down Paul George's brand because – what does it have to offer? I mean, sure, we've got the, the major markets out there, like you mentioned, and each one has a different benefit there. But once we get outside of that, uh, isn't there going to be something that is going to get dinged from his brand, knowing the number of people that are going to cover him? So let's just assume on a national basis, Paul George being who he is, the NBA being covered across the board, that from a national basis, he's still going to get attention. But from the local and the casual fan standpoint, he's leaving a lot on the table by being on a, being in a significantly smaller market. Yeah. And it's not just the size of the market, but it's also what that market is known for. And, and I'm just pulling up a, a 10 second research here, but looking at the largest companies based in Oklahoma city and on Wikipedia, and you got bank first Chesapeake energy, 
Continental Resources, loves travel stops and country stores, Paycom and Sonic Drive-In. So yeah, all major big, big time billion dollar businesses, but none with, with that kind of sex appeal of some of the ones that are based in San Francisco or, you know, in the case of Paul George, where he was looking at going to, uh, to LA. There's so many more of those companies that have some of that sexier kind of off court interest. Um, Sonic, terrific commercials, loves, you know, great gas stop. I, I was just there on the, my way home from Ohio yesterday, but they don't have that same, um, same appeal as some of those, those other, uh, companies that might be based in LA, but the market size, yeah, it is, you, you can do it in a smaller market, but it's got to be the right fit. And there are some markets that um, are going to fit better with a player brand. You know, we, we've talked about uh, Kawhi Leonard just before we started recording, not that OKC is under consideration for him, but it's a guy with a lower social media presence, a guy who doesn't do as much kind of off the court, isn't really as interested in being a star. That could be a city that maybe fits better with his brand so it can grow in the right way as a little bit of a, of a less in your face brand, a less um, uh, publicly splashy one, like, like one that Paul George or some other athletes are going after. Great. Let's dig down into this Kawhi Leonard-ness. Um, Kawhi Leonard wants to get paid from the shoe companies as well as on the court. And if I'm a shoe brand, I am not backing up the Brinks truck for him because where is his personality? He has no social presence. And by no social presence, I mean he is not on Instagram. He has 200,000 Twitter followers, but he only has four tweets and hasn't tweeted in three years. So I don't see the benefit of Kawhi Leonard because it's literally saying, all right, the reason you want to be associated with me is because of the on-the-court stuff that I've done. And if I look at recent, the last year, he hasn't been on the court whatsoever. He's actually done the complete opposite. He's been a cancer to the San Antonio Spurs. And I think the way that personal brands for athletes has changed that I think Kawhi Leonard and his team are completely missing the boat on this. That I don't understand how you can expect to be one of the highest paid endorsements with zero ability, oh, not zero, a significantly lower ability to influence. So when Kawhi Leonard's new shoes drop, what's going to happen, hypothetically speaking, is all the promotions on Nike, whereas if you look in Kevin Durant or LeBron drop a shoe, boom, here's 6, 10, 20, 30 million people who are going to see it. Yeah, I think that that's a major key. And, and, and what, what, a strong athlete brand, or what a strong brand can do for an athlete is it gives you – it's not completely – um, separate from your encore brand, but it gives you insurance, I guess, for lack of a better term, and that if you're still doing terrific things on social media or in a traditional traditional media, whether you have a have your own show or you're doing appearances in different places or you're you're making uh, hosting events with your foundation or just doing things that are connected to kind of who you are and what you stand for as a person off the court, that gives you you know uh, some some insurance that you're still popular, you're still doing things that are keeping you relevant with people. And even if you do miss some time off the court or you have an off season, you don't completely fall off of the map um, publicity wise. And you've seen it with, with athletes in basketball and other sports where their careers may start to wind down um, because your skills are going to deteriorate. That's what time does to all of us. But when you're doing those things off the court, like Kawhi isn't, then you, you add value. Not only can your, your endorsement contracts be larger, but you're going to be able to help sell more products and reach a new, a new group of audience, a new people that aren't just basketball fans. 
You know, another a person that came to mind that does that was able to get a big shoe deal with a pretty minimal off the court um, interest and appearance and, and brand is Derek Rose. Not quite as as uh, anti-social on social media as Kawhi is, but he's got two and a half million followers, but only a few dozen tweets, I think, ever. And if you look through his timeline, it's nothing for a couple of years. And almost every single one of his tweets in the history of Derek Rose's account, which only has 60 on it, I'm looking now, is a paid post or a, an Adidas giving him money and saying, hey, post this. So you look at the things that those kind of the engagement numbers that those are doing, and none of them are that good compared to a guy who actually is organically on social, who's doing things on there, especially for a sport like NBA, where NBA Twitter is just as good as NBA on the court many nights. Um, and so if you're not doing that, you're definitely going to limit your, your earning potential. And it's going to be a more difficult sell to Nike, Adidas, uh, you know, even Puma, who's looking at getting into it when you're only bring to the table what you do on the court. And when you're not on the court for a year, like Kawhi, you're going to be hurting yourself. Random side note, uh, right after I saw your tweet about Paul George, I actually saw that Adidas just released Derrick Rose's latest shoe line. But going back to Derrick Rose real, real quick, do you believe that he got paid because of his style of play on the court? So Kawhi Leonard, uh, I believe he was a finals MVP won titles with his Spurs. I believe he actually has the highest winning percentage of any NBA player ever. However, Kawhi Leonard's game is known for versatility. He's a shutdown defender. He can score, but he's not really flashy. And if you remember in his prime, Derrick Rose, when he won the MVP, that dude was better than Russell Westbrook. Like, that dude could throw down. So I could see the appeal yep. – to Derrick Rose because I lived through it as a Bulls fan. It was like Derrick Rose is going head-to-head -head with LeBron. Kawhi, I haven't really seen a head-to-head with Kawhi because his personality and there's just – there's nothing there. He's literally just like a basketball robot who's really, really good. But Derrick Rose at least had flavor, the way that he could finish around the rim and the way that he could throw down. So even though his brand was quiet – he got that MVP. The Bulls were a team that were sexy at the time. And I just don't think that Kawhi was bring, is bringing the same level of energy that D-Rose was when he was at the top of his game. Yeah, I agree. And again, when you're only limiting yourself to what you're doing on the court, if it's terrifically fundamental and, um, and, and by the book and, and, you know, very, very good in MVP level or finals MVP level, but not necessarily with that pop or flash like a D Rose had, like an Iverson had, you know, even with some of that, that different look that, that even a guy like Dirk Nowitzki brought to the table when Kawhi doesn't have that. And all you have is, is your on-court play. You're absolutely going to limit yourself and, and limit the, the, the max kind of deal you're going to get from a, from a shoe brand. If you're not bringing anything off, off the court, and all you're doing is on the court. And again, terrific, terrific player. But if it's, if it's as you said, Rob, well said, just less sex appeal than, than some of that, that just driving through the, through the lane with reckless abandon and as D Rose did and, and, and less explosiveness, you're, you're limiting yourself and, um, and that's tough to see. And then, so it's also, it's, it's difficult to understand how you're like, we want to be in LA. We want to max, uh, you know, a major shoe deal, but I'm not going to do anything off the court. 
And when I'm on the court, I'm going to be pretty, pretty quiet and one of the guys as opposed to maybe that vocal leader again with that more splash or pop. Um, it's going to be more difficult to, to sell shoes. If you think about some of those other guys and, you know, David Robinson or Tim Duncan are easy comparisons because guys that were a little bit quiet, terrific, terrific players, um, fundamentally sound, but, but a little bit less flash than some of those other guys. Both of them happen to be in San Antonio. You know, those guys weren't selling a ton of, a ton of shoes as, as your LeBrons or your Jordans or, or even your Shaqs were. Well, I will end with a personal story on David Robinson. Number one, I had the David Robinson pumps, I believe, when I was in fifth grade. And what made them unique is they had the pumps on the side of the shoe, and then the release was on the back. But David Robinson is an awesome guy. So pre-internet, um, living in Pittsburgh, I loved basketball. I loved trading cards, loved Michael Jordan. And I wrote to the San Antonio Spurs saying, could I just get an autograph of David Robinson? I may have been nine years old at the time. And amazingly, I got back an autographed picture of David Robinson in Sharpie, not one of those like fake pre-printed ones. And I will never forget that because my love of basketball and sports in general really blossomed at an early age. And I wrote to a lot of teams. I wrote to the uh, Phoenix Suns and I got back a Kevin Johnson signed picture. And it's those moments of positive brand interactions and especially with David Robinson. Plus he was super jacked. And as a little kid, I was like, look at this seven-footer who was jacked. I always loved David Robinson because of that. So shout out to him. Yeah, that's a terrific story. That's awesome, man. And, and, uh, and especially uh, for a Bulls fan like you to write down to the Spurs, that's great. But I mean, little stuff like that, teams can make lifelong fans and have stories with guys. But, I mean, even if you look at David Robinson, I mean, he was, he was you know, also vocal about his faith in a – you know, kind of a pre-Tim Tebow way. And, and so he did have that other sort of interest and, and something that he was passionate about. Obviously had the, the admiral nickname from his time in the Navy off the court. So even if less exciting down the court, though, fans like us will remember when he dropped uh, 70 to win the um, scoring title the last game of the year and whatever that was, 96 or 95 or something. But when you have that, he had something else off the court there to, to bring some interest to him and, and still looking for that, still hunting for that from Kawhi. And, at this point, he's 27, 28. Maybe it's just not there. You know, not everybody wants to have that, that massive brand and doesn't want to have, have that. And that's okay. Um, it's just definitely going to limit yourself and the earning potential you can have off a of court. And it's just counterintuitive to everything that has happened in digital media and sports sponsorships and endorsements of the last 10 years. So, Jesse, where can people connect with you in charge and drop a plug for the Charge 25? Absolutely. Uh, hit to charge25under25.com um, here July 18th, day after the All-Star Game. We are releasing the second annual edition of the, uh, the list, which uh, we looked at 969 athletes that were born or play in the U.S. under 25 years old to determine the uh, top 25 most powerful athlete brands. And that's at charge25under25.com. Awesome. I loved this conversation, Jesse. And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. What do you think? Does the market size matter? What are your thoughts on the, the brands of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? Two guys that haven't really been the most vocal, but uh, very high profile in a national media standpoint. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Rob Cressy. And if you'd like to get some content creation tips, 
to you to help you on your journey, go to BaconSports.com and sign up for my newsletter. That's it. That's all, man.